So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yay! Here we are, James. Episode 36 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. It's good to see you. It's been a few weeks. It has. Haven't you been on holiday? You look a bit brown. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Yes. You know me. Where did you go? Uh, went down to South France and then skipped over to the south of Spain as well because, you know, two holidays in one. Two very nice. It was good. How about you? You're just back. Yeah, I'm just back to uh, back to work yesterday, so a couple of weeks in Portugal. Nice. Look at us on a European tour. I, I know. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. It's normally yeah. a caravan in Margate or somewhere <laughs> like that. I, I normally get away to. But well, actually, I was up in Scotland as well right. on our tour, and I got chatting to a guy, and he said, to me, we, "You know, we'd been together for five or six hours. We were on this conference thing together." And he said, this morning I was I was going to catch my flight. Did you, did you know Kenneth Foreman? And I said, "Yeah, I, said, I know. I know Kenneth. Yeah." He said, "He's got a podcast." I was uh, <laughs> I was listening to it this morning on the way to, to catch my flight, and uh, it's amazing. You should definitely listen to it. He was interviewing <laughs> Hillary, and I said, "I know, I know, I was I was sat next to him. I was the yeah. other guy." Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it was it was a moment, uh, you know, to rein in my ego. Yeah. yeah. It was lovely to hear about the Kenneth Foreman well, podcast. Well, well, you know, um, it does. Happen. I must what check it out. What were you doing up in Scotland? I was just uh, presenting to a to a community group. Ah, yeah, okay. Community forum. Yeah. No, good. Yeah, holiday was amazing. Actually, I think the best thing. One of the best things for me is actually spending 10 days with your kids. And when you see, like, we had a pool at this villa, went away with a couple of friends, and they're in the pool every day. And my five-year-old son, at the start of the holiday, he was a pretty good swimmer. He could, he could swim. But by the end of the holiday, he was just, like, Olympic standard. He was yeah. brilliant. Just seeing every day, having that progress, you just don't get that often enough, unfortunately. Did you get rid of the armbands this year? Or? Got rid of the armbands. Got rid of a few other things on occasions as well, but we'll not go there. Um, but, no, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And then came back and had the great weekend of the Ashes. Oh. We, can't go on, we can't go on and not talk about the Ashes. That was incredible, wasn't it? It, it was, was absolutely brilliant. And I was yeah. uh, watching at nope. home I was with I spoke to my neighbour the night before and I said right we're watching the Ashes tomorrow he's like yeah I'm watching it at home I said okay well I'm going to be out and about I'll watch it at home as well so anyway watched it at home saw the final final runs being won cheered and cried and everything and ran outside to knock on my neighbour's window to go yes we've done it and then realised he was on pause delay <laughs> <laughs> and him and his wife were sitting on the sofa going Oh. oh, okay. Yes, we've won. Oh. So yes, but so it anyway. reminded me. You know, no matter how bad things are looking with our listener numbers, yes. we could still turn it around. <laughs> exactly. We just need to get Ben Stokes on. Exactly. Yeah, That's the good. next one. Yeah. So anyway, let's jump into it as our, our guest sits here very patiently. Um, so our guest this week, she joins us from the world of PR, marketing and making the world a better place through sport. She also has an MBE for her tireless work she's put into grassroots and women's sport. And after a career that started in sales for Cadbury's, which we'll have to go into, and then marketing for Quaker Oats, she has gone on to have an amazing journey in the sports world while continuing to contribute so much more to sports as a force for social good through her volunteer work. And as the founder of Promote PR, she has ensured that the mission of the business is to get more people moving, which I thought was brilliant to see. And through their work with organisations such as England Hockey, through British Swimming and Premiership Rugby, they continue to be at the forefront in helping organisations manage their communications, PR and strategy. And if this wasn't enough, she's also the chair of Get Berkshire Active and a founding trustee for Women's Sport Trust, who are all about raising the visibility and increasing the impact of women's sport. But when she's not busy running around with doing all of those things, she's also got a hugely successful podcast and the podcast, The Game Changers podcast, where she talks to fearless women in sport. And she interviews her guests with passion, with insight, that actually makes it a fantastic listen. And I would highly recommend it. So we're hoping she can bring some of that experience to the Do More 
Good Podcast today. And we'd like to welcome Sue Anstice, MBE, to the Do More Good Podcast. Wow, what an introduction. What an intro. I love to be overwhelmed. Thank you kindly. <laughs> I know. I always kind of, these <laughs> things on LinkedIn and trying that's to research good. them, you know. Fabulous. We you know me better than my family. Do it. Oh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> good. Inside Lines is a private investigator. There's nothing <laughs> you want to find worries. out. You do feel a bit stalkerish, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. So, th- Sue, thank you so much for joining us and giving Absolute up your time pleasure. this evening. So you and I first met uh, a few years ago, I think, when we came across, uh, you were looking at supporting the charity I was working for at the time in Alzheimer's Research UK. And, and obviously you've got a fascinating background with a theme, I think, throughout of it in my research of, of, of doing good. There's a lot of a, a theme throughout. But can you take us a little bit back to the beginning and maybe describe your, your early career and, and what led you to, to where you are today? Yes, OK. Way back when, I studied books and games, my brother's termed it, at Loughborough, so sports science and English was what I my passion was I wanted to be a PE teacher and uh, that when I was at, at university I loved the idea of sports sponsorship so I wanted to work in sport and sports sponsorship and people told me to go and get some experience at an FMCG company before I tried that route so I went to work at Cabris I was a sales graduate at Cabris selling chocolate out the back of my car <laughs> like you do <laughs> not quite you expected from a PE student so I did a couple of years at Cabris and then I was approached to go and work for Gatorade the sports drink ahead of its launch so I did a couple of years there and then I was made redundant actually at just 26 bit of wow. a shock at the time in this amazing job I had so set up the agency went, worked for a little while for a smaller agency and then set up the agency and yeah that's 25 years ago this year so that wow. rest is history almost it was. that was the starting point of it and um, how did it get through to to so y- the, the agency starting at obviously at that very young age for a lot of people to start a business. How did it kind of grow? And how were those first early years? Can you talk a little bit yeah, more about Yeah, I guess that I was like? operating from the back bedroom of my house in Devonway and Heston. And I think at the time, I do remember colleagues saying, oh, it's really brave to go out on your own and whatever. But I had nothing to lose, really. I always felt if it didn't work out, I would just go and get a job somewhere. I bought in Booper to be a sponsor for a big fitness campaign. Actually, they worked in triathlon, the Bath Triathlon. And I brought them across into fitness and, and so just started off with, I say, me and then a, my sister-in-law joined me. There were two of us working from the, from the house. So just got gradually grew from that stage, really. But initially, very much fitness uh, as a sector. Especially if you started off at Loughborough as well, that kind of hub of sporting excellence of a university. I remember going to look around and, th- and they, <laughs> they pretty much just turned <laughs> me away at the gates. <laughs> but um, it must have been an incredible place to start and maybe contacts from there came in useful yeah, later in your career. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and such a, uh, a passionate place in terms yeah. of uh, sport and, and the uh, activity. I always think now we should have a, a pin or something that identifies those Loughborough alumni because you do s- come across them quite Isn't a lot. Isn't that what the Iron Man tattoo <laughs> is for? <laughs> 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 And so what was, it, what was it really, I mean, you, you talked about your re- redundancy and, mm. and there was an opportunity, but it's still a really brave thing to do at 26 to start your own business. And you, you did touch on it that you, you felt that you had nothing to lose. Yeah. But was there something in your, your background or your, or your upbringing that kind of felt entrepreneurial? I don't or know, really. Uh, I do remember, I was thinking about this and coming on, I have been thinking about this podcast for I came on this <laughs> podcast, but thinking about, I remember having a real low when I was working at Gay Trade, actually, and my... Uh, my eldest brother was worked in the civil service. My middle brother's a doctor. My twin brother's now a head teacher. And they all had these jobs that were uh, giving and contributing and making a difference. And I remember chatting to my m- the middle doctor, who's also a psychiatrist as well as a, a doctor, and saying, I just feel like my job, you know, what am I doing? I'm selling sweetened, you know, I was very passionate about Gatorade at the time, but I'm selling a sweetened sports drink to children. I don't really feel I'm making a difference in the way that they were. So I do wonder, looking back now, whether I was always looking for that opportunity where I could go and do something that would make a difference rather than if I'd continued on and stayed in that role, I'm sure I would have progressed through Quaker and on to other companies in terms of sales or marketing. So I don't know whether, looking back, I, that was almost the route. At that time, I maybe took that route without knowing that was the case. But I think it was just really fun to do your own thing. I think that... Uh, Setting up on your own and doing your own thing is quite so exciting. It was, it was prompted by the, the shop redundancy rather than kind of kicked into action. I've always wanted to do this. Now's a good opportunity. I'd to never do have it. left if, if I hadn't been made redundant. I would never. It was like it was my dream job. I travelled around Europe. It was wow. a, just amazing. You know, to be at lovely sports events. It was perfect. Yeah. What's your memories? What, what's your best sporting event that you ever went to? Oh. And during those days, did lots testing of you stuff. now. If yeah, it's I am actually. <laughs> Sorry. And it, it was. Uh, I did a lot of the European athletics championships. So going around to Oslo and Helsinki and Stockholm nice. and being there. You know, and I was mixing Gatorade powder and <laughs> handing it out to athletes. It wasn't that sexy when I was there, <laughs> making sure the branding was in the right place. 
place, etc. But, uh, you know, I did get to go and I love sports. I got to go and see a lot of amazing sport in different places. So from that side, it was, yeah, really fantastic. Really special. And, and tell us a little bit more about Promote PR and, and, and its mission. And this is the business. Is it always been Promote PR? Yeah, it has it actually. Yeah. I regret the P- name, but the, you, know, you always do. Do you? Don't you really? I, I really like the it name. It says what it does on my tin, doesn't it? But, yeah. but like, I, over the years, I've thought, oh, I might, might have been something a bit more creative. But it, it works. It says what it is. Yeah, so I th- we were very, I say, fitness for probably the first 10 years or so. And then the last 15 years, I think we've gone much more into the area that I guess that I have more passion for, which is the sports, grassroots sports, national government bodies, charities, events, and so on. So I think that's probably deep down that was has been my passion and we still do work I should you know just my lovely fantastic fitness clients we still Mm -hmm. work for two of the biggest uh, fitness operators Anytime Fitness and the gym group so we're still involved there in getting people in and getting them active but I think it's the elements that sport bring to you know individuals and things that probably is the bit that excites me the most the difference that sport can make in society and where does the love of sport come from? You and those sickeningly successful siblings of yours, was that a real <laughs> part of your childhood? <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't really read about them. No, my dad, so my dad was a PTI, PT instructor in the Metropolitan Police. Right. Oh, wow. That's so he gonna, was very sporty. Off, yeah. My, yeah. My, my, my mother often saying to him, you know, these children aren't your cadets or recruits. <laughs> they are your children in that whole... Uh, imagine those swimming holidays yeah, on, uh, exactly. in Portugal. We were very late to learn to swim, actually. That whole bit, yeah. But that, so he, I guess he did it all day work he couldn't really be asked to teach us to swim <laughs> like your lovely son in the pool so yes yeah, so I think that that kind of passion he was a massive passionate sports fan so would always be sport any te- sport on the television constantly he would watch anything sporting male female whatever so I think that that's from that side and I guess I've done I've got three daughters now who are all very sporty so I think there's definitely that element of if you have that passion for it mm. none of my children have danced they're not particularly musical mm. uh, I don't think we tried not to let them do that but I think if you're going to drive around the country and drop your kids off and whatever you want to be attending things that you would like to watch and be at so I think there's definitely an element of you you follow where your parents took you really yeah and what was it what was your background in sport as a as a young lady what was it young lady uh, I swam I was a swimmer quite late too but not a bad swimmer did a bit a bit of and then moved to athletics mm. so 400 400 hurdles and then when I went to Loughborough I played volleyball so I, d- I got a new sport at Loughborough I got to Loughborough and realised there was no way I was going to make it into <laughs> a netball team or on the track team because they were just all so good so I just tried something new so then I played volleyball and then I've bit late in life about 46 I took up triathlon and then I did a bit of age group. I represented Great Britain for triathlon, which nice. was at last. It only took to 46 for me to get my GB vest. That my <laughs> brother, not that I was jealous, my brothers had those much earlier. So, yes, yeah, so I did triathlon. And now I'm open water swimming. So I'm in the cold through the winter, it's been well, fantastic. You're not messing around there, are you? No. 400, 400 hurdles are tough. Yeah. Open water swimming, I've never quite been brave enough. Oh, it's lovely. But, but I'm, I'm a bit of one or the other. So I'm either completely into it or I'm an absolute sloth. As my brother says, I'm either right. off. I'm on or off on switch. So I can do nothing at all, or I can be really into it. And at the moment, I'm happy, yeah, You're enjoying swimming at the moment. Swimming. What's your sport when you were younger, James? I was into athletics. I was were athletics you? and cross-country running, which, oh, you know, yeah. made me very popular with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> they used to stroll past the rugby team straight over to the cross-country squad, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, oh, there's, there's Fuller Man. Yeah. There's Jimbo Fuller Man. <laughs> Good. And, and so... As you've touched on, Sue, charities and kind of the social good ethos and as a focus for Promote PR, and, and you see yourselves as kind of specialists in, in that area, what problem are you often asked to solve for, for not-for-profits or, or, or charities from a PR perspective? Yeah, I guess a lot of what we have done is bringing people to events. Right. And... Uh, so not so much on the fund. I guess giving them the opportunity to then fundraise through the work that we do, but yeah. but filling sp- whether it's with Ride and Night and other uh, or working with the lights of Reading Half or the uh, you know, the major events that we work with, and then their charity partners to get people to come along to attendance. And sometimes mm. we work with Spinal Research on a couple of their projects uh, for a l- fantastic young group, the Atlantic Four that rode the Atlantic, as the name would suggest. And lovely Claire Lomas, who walked the London Marathon. Yes. Yes. So we yeah. came on as she was doing that on behalf of Spanner Research and, and managed the PR around that. So sometimes it's about profile and brand and getting the name out there. But often it's about getting people to sign up to, buy tickets for, attend, mm. and then helping to tell the stories of those that are raising money too. So quite a lot of the stuff we do on the event side is sort of case studies and, s- and gathering that information, that storytelling, to let other people see that they could do the same thing too. And is it, has, has, has PR changed? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has, but if you think about PR now and an event 
say it's a half marathon event, promoting it now compared to 10 years ago, what's the, what's the main differences? I mean, different channels, I get there's obvious things, but is there any intricacies that you think? Yeah, I guess uh, the principles, I think, are quite similar in terms of the storytelling and mm. the, con- you know, the way that you're gathering the content has changed. So obviously a lot more video interviews, you know, th- making it digitally able to be shared more. So clearly, yeah, whether it's Facebook advertising or just trying to reach an audience, there is a lot more. That's, a, I guess, a balance of our activity. In the past, it would have been just print, press, broadcast, etc. So definitely, as you say, different channels to go to and maybe a different way of telling those stories. But I don't think that the essence of, of uh, great case studies has, has particularly changed. And it feels like there are lots more events out there now. The saturation of the market, perhaps, we talk about that a lot. Mm. Do you find that it's more competitive out there? People aren't able to rest on their laurels? Absolutely. I know London Marathon, for example, yeah. better watcher. Don't want to mention <coughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we've worked, you know, we work with a number of different events. So, so the simple, but the, r- the runs, we've worked with Colour Run, we work with Spartan, you know, so, so the OCR coming into the space as well, Rough Runner. So, yeah, we have, we work with many different event organisers. I think, I think especially on the, the growth of that OCR, the obstacle course race yeah. market, I think many people thought it was a ri- really easy way to make money, stick some ob- obstacles in a field and get people along and we can make cash. And I think you've seen a lot of those have, have uh, gone to the wall and not flourished, perhaps because people might do it once or twice and they're not going to keep coming back. And you know, there is a sector that's, that's flourishing there, but many people will do it once or twice, a tough mudder. They're not going to be doing it repeatedly. Whereas with the yeah. half marathons and marathons, yeah. I think they yeah. still have longevity. But definitely it's more uh, on the, not necessarily on the charity side, but our event clients find it more challenging some of them to get in you know to repeatedly get entries across time because there's more choice mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. there cer- cer- certainly is a lot more choice and i think you're right i mean uh, it's amazing when you see some of these ocr events that kind of crop up and you think please please have you thought about the business model that you're not going to make any money for probably till year three year four if you're lucky uh, but maybe they haven't thought about that and of course they go one or two years and then and then they fold away unfortunately which yeah. is not great to see but nature of the game i guess as we touched on earlier so you know charitable work pro bono support of charities is is kind of part of the dna really of promote pr and you told me uh, last week when we were talking that you've recently passed the one million pound yeah, given really to good causes. Not publicly shared that yet, actually. But oh, I'm pli- no, 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 it's, no, it's, no, it's good. It's just been publicly shared. But through kind of pro bono support yeah. and, and everything you've done, which I think is absolutely exceptional. And, and congratulations to you and the team for doing that, because that really, knowing both of us, I guess, coming from a charity and fundraising background, we appreciate how charities couldn't exist without support like that so that's really amazing where does your passion for this sector come from yeah it's interesting isn't it i i uh, guess the the uh, giving back and the pro bono activities has been a nice thing to be able to do wherever we can when we feel passionate about a charity organization sometimes perhaps they don't have the budgets of some of the commercial companies that we work with too so it's not robin hood by any means but it's <laughs> nice to be able to uh, do fantastic projects and take funding and know that we can you know clients know we don't really tell clients, but almost they're subsidising a little bit of the stuff that we do elsewhere. So we yeah. again, we probably should have made more noise about that in the past, which we haven't done. So that, so I guess that's been important too. And I, and I think the piece probably, even in the last five years, what we've become more aware of is that sport for uh, social change and the, the, the impact that sport can have within communities. So I think mm. there's a lot more of the work that we're doing, whereas in the past it was not, not pure charity work, but it would be to raise profile for a charity or to get more people to enter something. I think now we're doing more work with the likes of we're working with Project Rugby and HITS for um, Premier Rugby, but c- in the communities, so changing lives, so yeah. reaching, you know, hard to reach, low socioeconomic groups, disability groups, etc., and taking sport to them and using sport to change lives in that way. So that's something that many of our team are very passionate about. But probably 10 years ago, we might have done a bit of it, but we weren't as aware of, uh, uh, I guess, our influence and opportunity that we had there. Mm. You look at the space. power of sport in bringing communities together, and on the downside this week, we talked about football clubs, Bury and yeah, yeah. Bolton, Bolton going under. Mm. Bolton's not quite yet, but yeah. Yeah, that's on the, on the edge, isn't it? And then... The flip side of that is something like London 2012, which really brings an yeah. entire nation together. And we look back on those that summer of sport, mm. which was just 
incredible. I wish we could do that all over again. Mainly every so I could year. go in for every year. I'm sure everyone would benefit. for more tickets, but it was just amazing yeah. bringing people together and that I think that's the thing is sport is so powerful, isn't it? And I, I guess I've always known that, but maybe it's only really in the last five years or so that I've better been able to articulate and see mm. that. And I think probably the women's sports, the work that I've done around women and girls and the power of women's sport to transform lives and to give young girls and women the confidence you know better profile seeing women in action and mm. having success and giving them the confidence to go and do other things too and you know I, I spoke to a, a fabulous colleague who was if I say this I'm dragging away who she is anyway she's still a fabulous person I think <laughs> she was CEO at VSO for a while and we were talking about working within society and sport for change and how maybe 10 years ago it was all about doing sport overseas and there are some amazing charities you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But her point was actually, right now in the UK, there's amazing stuff that can be done in inner cities and mm. with you know areas of deprivation that it isn't just about taking sport across to to Africa and uh, uh, far away places almost. It's in our own country here, there's mm. so much that can be done in terms uh, of sport. Yeah, it's interesting because I think back on 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 you know former former years and actually going to work for a charity in a, in a role that re- required fundraising and combined that with sport. I mean, sport was the main attraction when I saw it was a sporting event manager. Mm. I was like, all oh, right, well, I've loved sports all my life. I've played sports, or well, maybe I can combine this with my philanthropic tendencies, whatever it might be. But then, as you say, just seeing that actually when you've got someone who's never run before and then completes the London Marathon in. Yeah. Whatever time and raises five thousand pounds, and you see that Power, person changes yeah. an individual. What was your thing when you were a kid? Tiddlywings. Um, <laughs> you were quite good at that. Uh, yeah, I was good at that. Still am. Um, mine was mostly football and tennis, hockey. I played a lot of hockey through school. Yeah. I think it was those made those people. I remember my PE teacher was a major influence. He, he was a very hockey. I was inner city Nottingham. Um, but he was her- very hockey focused, and he really got me there. And I got to county level; it was brilliant. And 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 I think those role models, especially for younger people as they're growing up and seeing people who are can com- well, you help look, them along. You look at the exposure that the the, the lionesses got over mm. the summer. I know mm. that you and I were, were following them and, and mm. watching that, and you think that is a that's a good role model for for the girls. Um, uh, I've got two young girls, and they loved it. They absolutely, absolutely. loved it. Well, so yeah, that was interesting because I was when I was away in Portugal, I was making a bit of a family video. So I know this is quite an old school thing to do, but I actually recorded daily footage on my iPhone and I've edited it together Lovely. and we've got a little family video and it will never be revealed anywhere else. Um, See it in the show notes to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'll there. <laughs> exactly. But in, in one of the clips of my daughter was wearing her Tottenham shirt and one of our family friends was wearing a Tottenham shirt. And I said, oh, who are you two? Deli Ali and uh, Harry Kane. And she's like, no, daddy, I'm a girl. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, who are you? And she's like, I'm Ellen White. And yeah. I was like... You know, and I was yeah, said actually yeah. on the video, I was like, it just shocked me that that is now ingrained into yeah. her. She under she has a woman that she can look up to. Nice anyway. moment. Yeah. yeah, going off on a tangent. So yeah, so that one million pounds is fantastic. The pro bonus support. I was going to ask as you were mentioning it. Then, what does that do in terms of your staff and and and, and how yeah. do they? I'm sure they enjoy it, but does that give you something as a business owner in terms of knowing that your staff are going to also be able to work on CSR type Yeah, absolutely. And I think wherever possible, we try to include them in that decision-making process. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't want them to be... We've actually done a lot in the last six months of British wheelchair basketball. Mm. So that's been where a lot of our time has been spent with them. And actually the team have have loved it and knowing they're making a difference and they're contributing. So absolutely, I think it's really important that they they buy into that too. At the end of the day, it's their time that we're gifting. So they need to to believe in that too, what they're giving. And in terms of attracting talent, is that something that you also are quite public about? No problem with that. (laughs) I'm sure. From from an agency point of view. It's interesting. I I think we, I guess as our profile has increased, probably in the last 10 years and we're working with bigger brands and sports, it's become easier. I think being we're based in Maidenhead. Right. In Berkshire. So in the past, we have struggled, I think, with not being in central London. Yes, of course. But actually, I've always wanted people that that live locally, that don't have such a journey to get in and out of work anyway. And I think it's a bit of that culture. I was talking to somebody about this this morning, actually, the culture of the agency. So we've always had, we have a bit of flexi working, so people can start at 7.30, they can go at 4, we finish at 4 on a Friday. So we've never, I never want people in the office long hours, whatever. And Naz, my MD and I, who... (coughs) We've both done a bit of the uh, working in agencies in the past. They don't know what they're 
<laughs> well, it's like outside these lovely people that work at FMO. And if, if it's their first <laughs> job and they've only ever come there, yeah. they may have a bit of a shock when they go work elsewhere. But for me, that's always been, I think, people more productive if they've got a lovely balance of life and uh, they can come in fresh-faced in the morning and enthusiastic. I'd much rather that than... We, uh, we often talk about this on, on the podcast about work-life balance and getting more from work than it just being a job. Absolutely. People's lives are... Especially technology we're all plugged in all the time it's got to it's got to fit your life yeah as well. it's be- i heard someone say recently yeah it's almost like it's not it's not about work-life balance but your work needs to be balanced that it needs to be something that you enjoy you don't get yeah. super stressed about it it shouldn't be that you need a massive switch off and what have you hopefully overall you're enjoying what you're doing and you're feeling you're making a difference yeah yeah well if you're traveling around the world going to european championships giving be, people yeah, gatorade yeah. then oh good <laughs> that must be you know that, that's Amazing. Yeah. So in your experience of kind of supporting a number of charities and, and, and not-for-profit companies over the years, what are the, some of the challenges that you think the, the sector faces when it comes to kind of fundraising, governance, brand, or really achieving, achieving success? And yeah. I realise that's a quite a big it's question. A question isn't it? Yeah. I think from, us, from our side, is a, some of the things we struggle with from a people spending money on PR and comms. So even in commercial companies, obviously it's a marketing budget that's often cut first. Mm. And I think uh, that's somehow hard to justify uh, the spend on comms and PR and so on to raise profile uh, in an environment that obviously it's all about money coming in and what you can generate. So I think that sometimes that can be frustrating and that we know if you, you know, let's take this project on, we could really raise profile, make a difference and get more people entering and gather great content. But mm. I think sometimes, not so much with, with um, the bigger age, uh, charities or those that are very switched on, but I think sometimes it's, it's quite a big ask to pay a retainer or give a project fee to an agency when it's not completely proven in a way mm. that some other... Um, maybe if you're investing in a, in the old days of a sales promotion agency, but it's more your ROI is much clearer than yeah. it can be with comms and PR. So I think that can be a, ch- a challenge faced. Mm-hmm. So do you are there particular projects that you've worked on in the past few years that you're? I mean, you've worked with some incredible clients by the sounds of things. Are there particular projects that you're? proud of and campaigns that you've worked on that yeah. stand out over the last few years? Yeah, I guess okay, a very recent one that we're doing right now, which isn't quite finished yet, we're working with the IPC on the Power Swimming Championships at London. Nice. So for us, that's the first time, uh, not the first time, but it's the, m- the most major c- international event that we've worked with. And there is lots of partners. So as you all know from London Marathon, but the Mayor's Office and LLDC and GLL and others. So working with all those stakeholders reaching out across 2,000 schools across London, getting people into the aquatic centre. It was quite a short notice. So that's a fabulous campaign. That, I can't take credit for that. That's Naz and the team that have been delivering on that. So that's not until September, but that's been a great project just to be involved with the whole process. We've done some fabulous stuff with, um, even if I say so myself, with um, England Athletics on uh, Run Together, Run and Talk. They're running campaigns a lot around mental health and mm. well-being. So... We did a big campaign for them two years ago uh, to try and encourage people to come and run together in running groups rather than nice. running on their own. Yeah. Uh, and it was slightly controversial. So we did it around some research uh, that showed around 30% of women had been harassed at some point when they'd been out running. Mm-hmm. And it was quite brave of England Athletics actually at the time because they had to take it to the board because it was slightly controversial mm. because it, the chance was it could put people off of running people altogether. Off, yeah, yeah. But our you know argument to them was actually it could get fabulous coverage because it's something that's quite topical and it you know media would be interested and it did uh, you know fortunately as we persuaded them to do it it did have extraordinary coverage they had around 25,000 sign-ups for wow. the run together groups and so on across the three months and and it was on you know, lovely bbc uh, breakfast news and across the networks so it had huge huge coverage so sometimes it's i guess our role is coming up with a creative idea and then persuading a client that it's worth you know, we often ask in pictures, how brave do you want to be? Whether it is being controversial or calling something out. And, and yeah, sometimes that can be... A, that's bold. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes and it's hard. And take the plaster off and say, you know, this is the situation. Yeah, this yeah. is what we're facing. And people will respond to, to that, that yeah and, and media will want to write side. about it and yeah. i think that that's sometimes a challenge of clients that either want their own brand or name to be too much up front and don't realize that we we're constantly looking for those hooks and the nuance and the the bit that will interest the media you know to get them engaged and, and covering stuff so, so there's some of our guests our best campaigns and it, and it is hard in pr because it as i say it's not measurable so mm. i think some of our best work is when we can see as a result of us doing this we've generated 
this much, this many sign-ups for British Triathlon's Try January campaign or this many people on a, on a web. And I think digital definitely helps with that in terms of directly seeing the link of the work that we're doing and the results that come through that too. You can measure yeah. it a bit more. As you were talking then, I guess the campaign that came to mind for me was Cancer Research UK's recent campaign, which I'm not sure what it was called, but the one where they had obesity on the cigarette Oh, amazing, packing. yeah, absolutely. Um, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. powerful. And obviously, I mean, uh, in terms of coverage, I don't think they could have... Uh, I'm sure it went beyond their expectations yeah, in terms yeah. of what yeah, it could. Good. But that led me to a question to you as a, as a PR expert. How do you... Have you found yourselves having to push the boundaries even more because we now have so much content out there, because we're all now so familiar with headlines on Twitter, because there's well, as in you so have to much... Shock to you get. have to push it that even bit yeah, further. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was thinking that uh, you will know better than me. What's that lovely blood type uh, campaign where they took out the O and the... No, you don't remember that now, okay. Might have been Just for... Just cut, cut that bit out. Okay. Uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I was thinking that that there are some amazing marketing campaigns. And I'm going to jump completely to a different subject no, here. One fine. of the things that always frustrates me is I see these amazing campaigns and the teams, we often share great campaigns that we see. And so many of them are paddy power or the... And my frustration is, well, why couldn't it be an amazing campaign yeah. <laughs> for somebody else doing the fantastic what they're doing that isn't a gambling company? So I think there is that marketing creativity, which is a bit different from what we're about. I think, yes, it is about being creative and coming up with new campaigns and ideas, but a lot of it is still finding those great stories, those case studies. I keep on about this, but it's a storytelling. That is mm. what we are mm. at the heart of it. So finding those inspiring stories of people who have changed their lives, or they've raised money, or they've gone and done something. You know, and it's how do we gather that content and I guess what's changed is how we share that is it video is it digital is it podcast is mm. it how are we sharing that news but I think mm. people still buy people they want to look at other people that are like them that are doing something so I think that probably has yeah, that the kind essence of, of people things. hasn't changed your daughter, yeah. yeah exactly you know, that people like me are doing these things as you were talking then I just thought about one of the one of the great stories that I heard from being a fundraiser and, and I'm sure He's you've got you've got the, yeah. you've got a few no it was just a, it was just a brilliant and inspiring story and I think that actually if we got if we got it out in the right channels, it could have been amazing. But there was a woman who was doing our virtual running event at the time, and she had a medical condition that meant that she couldn't leave the house. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it, what it, the condition's called. She basically ran a hundred kilometres around her back garden, and her garden was pretty tiny, like probably not much bigger than this room. But she got out there and mm. did it because she wanted to do something for dementia. She wanted to do something because it had touched her wow. family and. And and I remember just hearing this story, and I was just like, "That's amazing! Like you could do some like, yeah. what what could you do in your garden? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, could yeah. you know? How yeah. could you? How Come on, work for us, Kenneth. Great PR. Exactly, that's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, as you say, good storytelling and is is key. But I'd like to pick up a point you just touched on there in terms of gambling Ooh, companies. Oh yeah, yeah. So this was a question that we we threw in there, and we was like, oh, it actually says backup question. Um, <laughs> and we're there, we're there so soon. Well, just yeah, because yeah. It's, I, I guess I just felt it was maybe a, not controversial, but it's a bit of a touchy subject for a lot of people around betting companies and their involvement in in mainstream sport. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're getting to a situation with some sports uh, like football where it's it's dominating. Um, I, I think I said to you, I was you know sat on with my kids the other day, and I said to them, I just asked them how many betting companies did they know, and bearing in mind my children are nine to five, so nine, seven, and five, and they could name five betting companies, mm. and that is because, like you were talking about earlier, I've encouraged them to watch sport, or I've been watching sport. They've had no choice in the matter, uh, and they've watched it, and they've just taken it from that. And then you tweeted earlier this week about women's rugby league, and and, and them being sponsored by a, a betting company. And, and with your experience and, and your insight into the world of sports marketing and sports as a business, I just wanted to get your opinion on how you see the future of gambling companies and, and, and their association with sport in the UK. Yeah, it's a, it is a tricky one, isn't it? And I think I shared that on LinkedIn and it was interesting to see most people's comments very positive. I think my comment was at some point when we look back and think, how on earth did we allow this to happen? I think was my comment <laughs> around the sponsorship. Uh, and some people pointing out who work for organisations that might be linked to gambling companies that actually, get, you know, it's done so much positive for sports. So and I guess if you look at sports like horse racing and other things, you know, and I guess that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Uh, how you feel about those. That actually it has helped sport and it's helped sports to grow and develop and all those things too. So I guess that is one argument. I wouldn't profess to agreeing that that's a, a good thing at all. And I, I yes, I think the thing we 
But my frustration is it just normalizes it. It's something, it feels almost like it's the emperor's clothing that we're letting it happen. But actually, it's just normalizing something that isn't right or normal. Well, at you talk all. about horse racing there. And in my mind, you don't, I, I don't really go. But if you go to the horse racing, you go and bet. It's part yes. of the, the experience. Pro- absolutely. That is, is one and the same. And, and it only exists, and it was only ever on Channel 4. You know, that's a, the reason that people didn't really go just to watch the horses race. Yeah. It was all around the... The, the sport you know, was, the, yeah, was the... Yeah, the totes and the betting and yeah. everything else as well. Is yeah, that the absolutely. way that, you know, in 20 years' time, are we going to say the same about other mainstream sports? Uh, Is that and, and I guess there are all the issues around betting on the tennis and the cricket and all those scandals that have come about, people throwing matches and so on. Yeah. Like, and my... Not that I'm not worried for men's sport, but, uh, but the women's sport, that's almost what saddens me more as I perhaps have this hope that women's sport might especially women's football women's sports might be different and do something that's different to some of the the path that men's sport has followed some of the negative elements so that's i guess a bit that i find quite frustrating yeah. and you know you others might say the same for alcohol mm. brands you know mm. for t- tobacco in the past yeah. being know, pulled from f1 yeah snooker and all those snooker, things yeah. too as well so and i guess that's the thing is who fun if if not them, then who funds this amazing well, sport that changes at, lives and society and whatever? It's on the up, and advertisers are going to be jumping on that. Yeah. And, and also, women's sport are going to be looking for sponsors. Yeah. How do you turn down but you do. one of those big five? But I think you do. You That's just have the thing. To say you have to, don't you? No. And I think there are sports, and there are clients of ours that have just said, uh, uh, Harlequins is a case in point, mm. that their board has said, actually, we're not going to take money from, from betting companies. So I think it is possible to do. You can choose who you take your money from. I just think it's very hard when people come to you with lots of money uh, and you need and want that money to, to turn it down but I guess at the end of the day it's about ethics and morals and where yeah. you and I think people will change I guess it's it's being on the right side of the public opinion as mm. well so I think at the moment we're you know it seems people seem to be quite accepting of it I, d- I do think and hope that that will change in the future yeah. too but it's an but interesting, it's interesting thing around men's and women's let's say the, the football for example men's football all that matters is success. They don't care where the money comes from. <coughs> as long as they're top of the league, they can justify everything else. There is no argument about where that money, that sport, that player has come from. They will. It doesn't matter to fans. Whereas, yeah, with women's football on the up, you'd hope that there would be more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, you would hope so, think, don't you? Yeah. But also, I think when you're looking at the... the, the, the uh, and, and thinking as a life of an athlete, if you're being paid £10,000 a year to perform at a professional level and then someone comes along and says well actually if we take this sponsorship we'll be able to pay you £40,000 a year again it well, gets I into that area where it was like well you turned it down your big tiddlywinks contract well exactly you, you know uh, absolutely not <laughs> no, absolutely not but ultimately it is about it is about ethics isn't it, it? Is, ethics it and where you feel and I say throwing this in the mix too and I probably shouldn't do but when I get on my high horse about it and I think actually the lottery what is the lottery which has made sport what it is if True. not a form of gambling, gambling. albeit lower, I don't know, but you know, and who are buying lottery tickets? Is it come, you know, I say it's a, it's, a, it's a lower level, but it's been so important to sport I'd in this love, country. I'd love to say that was on our backup, backup questions because well. that's a brilliant point. It, but it, I, but I almost tr- feel, I mean, and, and we'll probably get into this, I almost feel with the lottery that it's quite transactional. It's like, yes, you can have a problem with it, you could buy too many tickets a year. But I think one of the big problems that I see, and as I mentioned earlier, the documentary on, on BBC, which I think it was called Beat the Bookies, and I'd recommend anyone watching it, was just looking at the way they're using technology now and the algorithms oh, and the fact that you can you can bet on a game where you have absolutely no idea. It's a League Two game in Peru that nobody has any idea about what the teams or who's going to win. And, and betting, I think, growing up, betting was always fun. It was always a grand national. It was like, oh, you might have yeah. a team... It yeah. just seems to have lost that, and it's kind of gone it's the other way. It's different, isn't it? It's different to, to a one-off, and once a year you put a couple of quid on bit it. Of a bit of a novelty yeah. of the Grand National. bit of a novelty yeah, yeah, yeah. of it, yeah. And I, yeah. And I guess my thing is about the, uh, I guess, on the positives of sport, of uh, loneliness and feeling part of the community. So I think just the, the depression and anxiety and stress mm. and, you know, the suicidal rate in young men, I think it's definitely more men, young men, betting on, uh, you know, using betting companies over and above young women and I guess mm. that's a bit of sport and when I see who's a lovely oh, I can't remember his name that's not a very good link is it who does th- one of the adverts is it Betfred uh, uh, I what's his th- yeah I want to say he's going for the long Winston for the longer Friday but that isn't Ray Winston <laughs> but yes him uh, that, you know, that just make, you know, it frustrates me and makes me sad because I think 
You should be better than that, Ray. I oh, know. So, yeah, yeah. It does well, he's, a bit. He's taking, <laughs> taking the money, isn't he? It's yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> it does a bit. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a, a, a discussion that you could go long into the yeah, night on. Yeah. Right? It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a definitely a topic. It's clear that you're still hugely passionate about all of this. That's great to see that you, yes. know, you started when you were 26 and you still love this. Yeah, I Was think three, more three, so. Four years, but I yeah. think it's. I think probably more so now when I've seen the power of of sports change lives. And I think I think when I first loved it, I loved it because why would you not love sport? It's a fabulous thing, and it's a, they're great people, and the, you know, the, and the fitness sector too. Just lovely people to work with who are in it because they're passionate about it, and you're and it's a good thing to be getting people physically active, etc. I think probably what I've seen more of in the last few years is the ability of sport to positively impact people's lives, to inspire them, to give them resilience, make them feel part of a community, as well as all the health benefits. Mm. Clearly, that is part of it too, but. Uh, those that's the bit that really excites me almost of what sport can do for people's lives yeah and we'd like to kind of round up the conversation by talking about your absolutely fantastic podcast and i i can't remember where i first came maybe i saw a, a tweet of yours before it came out and um i must be about four through now so i haven't listened to them Good all man. i'm yeah, sorry yeah. i'm sorry i'll get I, there i get too jealous i'll get there i get too jealous of the guest not that you're not a fantastic guest but i get jealous of your guests <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some amazing people you them. sat down just ask them they all say yes yes awesome. yeah, yeah. We, we will have to you give them free gatorade and, and quaker oats <laughs> not anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but tell us a little bit more about it where, where did the idea come from what's the what's the what's the vision yeah, interesting. What, where did it come about from? it uh, the passion project really I think just that whole wanting to give back I'm a, you mentioned earlier I'm a founding trustee of the Women's Sport Trust so we talk a lot about you know not enough profile for women's sport and funding in women's sport too so I think for me it was a bit of a how can I make play my part almost to give more profile and I didn't ever want it to be just athletes there are athletes on it but more about the amazing trailblazing women who have made a difference and to tell their stories to inspire other women coming through and I think we, we're very fortunate that we get to work with lots of women be they CEOs or they're in marketing or coaching or whatever and I think just telling their stories as examples is, is sort of where it started so it was a bit of a passion project and it was a bit of a, a more just for the sporting sector really I think I mm. thought it would be out uh, but yeah it has taken off quite well really so that's been fantastic that we've had all kinds of people listening and engaging and what I love is sometimes some of my daughter's friends will say they've listened to uh, yeah. oh my god Kate Richardson Walsh or Maggie Alfonsi and then the likes of lovely Tim Hollingsworth sending messages saying that they're so inspiring and you know other senior women who have heard it and it's changed their attitude to what they feel they can achieve so it's each of those little impacts means so much and the fact mm. that it is from young to old to all kinds, male and female. It's, that's mm. fantastic. It wasn't quite what I'd anticipated, but it's brilliant. Yeah, no, I must admit, like, listen to it. It, it is brilliant, it, and you should be very proud of, of you, what you've done. I mean, you're obviously a podcast professional. It sounds like you've been doing it for years, but, <laughs> but listening not. to it, but, but maybe not, but yeah. we're not telling anyone. <laughs> I, I couldn't help but think that this is something that I'd love my, my, my girls to listen yeah, to, yeah, you know, yeah, my yeah, children yeah. to listen to, because I think you've found a... A niche there that I've never, in my experience, and maybe that's just the, the circles that I'm in or, or the media that I consume, I've never come across anything quite as authentic and powerful and, you know, just real genuine stories of fearless women. Is yeah, it? oh, thank you. It, yeah, so, yeah. No, it's good. And I think it, I did want it to be a bit like this, really, um, modelled on, not on yours too, but I think to be relaxed, like yeah. a relaxed conversation. That's always my goal was to make it relaxed and informal. And a couple of them have finished and said, oh, is that okay? It was just a conversation. Like actually, that's exactly what I wanted it to one. be, as if you're just having a conversation with people. I yeah. think some of the, the bits we've talked now is it, how can we distill some of those elements? So we're just about to start the second series, and there are similarities to some of the athletes transitioning out of sport or mm. overcoming adversity and injury. Or So that there's bits that are similar, not with all of them. So we've talked about could we, so I want, you know, whether it's to go into schools or colleges or universities, are there elements that we create more content to take the, the great pieces from that and share that That's further. interesting that you talk about getting Olympians in to have a relaxed conversation <laughs> and then <laughs> also transitioning into... I don't know, what would you call yeah. normal life? Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, elite level. Yeah, so yeah. that's really interesting. Maybe that's just how they see the, the world. Unless you're operating at 100%, you are, you're not, I don't know. Yeah, they really, and a lot of them really struggle, as you'll hear, but a lot of them do, you know, struggle. And I think that airing it and talking about it is such a positive thing to know that 
they've gone through that too, that nice. transition from being yeah. losing your persona as an elite athlete. So when is, uh, when yeah. is the BBC contract coming? When are we getting this <laughs> on BBC One primetime? Saturday yeah. night's been struggling for years. It's uh, funny. I can see I Sue and Fearless Women on there. But if you talk about that whole what you want as a child, so I uh, wanted to do, do a sports present. That's what I always wanted to do. It's taken until 53. I've completely done it myself. <laughs> I've started my own podcast. <laughs> so I do, they do laugh at home that that yeah. is the case of like, oh my God, she wanted it for so long now. She's <laughs> just gone and done it herself. So no, I interviewed her, I mentioned to you, but Claire Boarding this morning. So that was um, probably the most daunting to be interviewing the queen of the... Uh, uh, interviews herself actually but she was very lovely so how have yeah. you uh, how have you perfected your interview technique have you just have you just i mean you've obviously got your media background <laughs> anyway i mean me and james are well <laughs> <Me and> novices <laughs> <Me and novices. laughs> yeah we're like, way through, we like to we, apologize yeah. for our interview style but uh, i think yeah. it's, I, I work with a lovely lady uh, sam walker who's radio five live so she's yeah. definitely given me some coach so she coached she takes the podcast and makes it sound pretty at the end takes out all the any ums and ahs on me going i guess too much through it <laughs> but she tidies that up but she's helped me with at the early stages of almost creating an arc of questions so right. from and it isn't always from from youth to old to out again but ha- having us telling the story as you go through so that's definitely so I'm now able to write them myself yeah. but to script the interview and uh, she said some fun, I mean, fantastic things one of them was actually you interview somebody you could do 45 different interviews with that same person that could all take different angles yeah. so don't feel the need to cover everything in one <laughs> I'm like I'm coaching you don't no, feel no, the need to good. cover everything We're in right one interview <laughs> <laughs> But but to actually whatever that interview is, that will be that that's that one story. And next week you can go back and interview the same person and take a completely different story and different story. Times I've seen Graham Norton interview James McAvoy. Yeah, on a different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) If I I ever watch that program and he's not on it, I think (laughs) I've missed something. But you're right. Every time it's different. Yeah. So not to worry about where where it needs to be or whatever. And I like you. I've got little little questions that I follow, but to be able to go off and come back to. But I'm learning, and that's the thing is, I, I love the fact that she gives me the bit of her feedback of you need to do this or make your question short or don't I, I used to do a lot of the asking a question and then answering it in the same question as I was yeah. asking so yeah. just having that feedback and that coaching is uh, it's been lovely to but learn that's, that's the fun of it right that you're learning as you absolutely, go absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah. cool I think we could probably le- on that note I think that's been absolutely brilliant oh, so thank, thank you so much thank for, you for so coming much on. been an absolute no, pleasure anytime and we'll have a different arc yeah, next time you come on you've got 47 more times yeah, to talk exactly. to me haven't you <laughs> um, but we we're do not letting it go that easy though right no we're no. not going to go we've got play the little jingle play James the jingle. Oh, where's okay. the jingle we'll wait a minute <laughs> yeah, we'll get that for, we'll get that for series three yeah. that's about it go on then now we've got some quick fire questions oh what you've seen already so they're not as quick fire I can't remember it was early I've been busy I've been busy James you can go for the first one question number one dramatic pause if you could place an ad across Facebook across the world for one day what would it say and why don't eat meat uh, become a vegan I became a a vegan in January that's how we're going to we will all be vegans in the end I'm not allowed to be a preachy vegan my children (laughs) tell me but that's what I would say stop eating that's the answer to it all take one flight a year and stop eating meat Okay. Well, we might have to be with the whole Amazon situation going I on. For- yeah, I forgot. I forgot your questions actually. So this is good. That's this that, is was, <laughs> that was genuine, well, actually, genuinely off the top of my head. No, no, no. I think I think it's better coming off the top of my head, and I actually think we should have removed. Oh, that's the thing the you questions. say. Never show your person that you're interviewing questions. Is the other piece of advice I give you? Never show them anything. Who told you that? Jeremy Paxman. No, Who lovely Sam Walker. Sam Walker again, told you yeah. that. So, so don't ever sh- don't ever send the questions. But I didn't really look at them in too much detail because you want them to be spontaneous. And actually, if I've got the answer there, the, your audience can hear that I've already had it and then it's not yeah. really a yeah okay. see on right. that I think that on that one it's it's right and on some of the interviews where we send people questions it has been a bit like they've come back with loads of notes and it's yeah, a bit yeah. polished but on others it's just kind of made them feel a bit more comfortable yeah, about yeah, it yeah, and yeah. I think that's maybe we need to find a balance yeah well give them an outline of w- I'm, I'm going to touch on this and this and this and this without mm. telling them the actual questions so no, just the thought yeah Kay. So the other quick question that you asked me more that I haven't listened to or <laughs> didn't read. We can no, put Sam Walker right. down as a, we'll as now a consultant <laughs> now as well. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Walker. Um, quick fire question number two yes. that you haven't read. Uh, what's the one bit of advice you've been given in your career that sticks with you? Uh, bit of advice. I, I think that whole 
Well, it's, maybe it's my motto. If not, someone must have said to me at some point, but I think that whole you reap what you sow, you know, what goes around comes around, etc. Yeah. And I don't think that's why you know it's nice to be nice, as Kate Hannon says in my office. But I think that's all very important. It's look mm. after people, treat people well, mm. life short. So mm. I do think, and that's not really this piece of business advice, but I definitely think that's a, a piece of life and business advice. Yeah. It's often yeah. not ignored in business, but I think it's a piece of life advice. That, uh, yeah, and I mean, I even think about, so as I touched on earlier, we met, what, two or three years ago very briefly, and I think I followed you on LinkedIn at the time and probably stalked you a little bit, like I do, with, I don't normally do that, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, and then messaged you out of the blue and said, hi, so if you've listened to your podcast, would you be interested in coming on ours? And you were just like, yeah, I'll do that, of course, I'm sure. And, and you know, it, it, it comes across in your other conversations i've heard you have and, and the other podcast is that you're genuinely just like nice person want to give it forward pay it forward a little bit yeah and networking is quite key as well absolutely 100 percent. yeah you know, it's, it it's all about all about people all about people uh i'm talking to nice people it's a podcast that focused on doing more good uh what's your favorite story or inspiring individual that you have met on your journey that has done something good for others. Oh, crap, I can't think now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, this oh. is what we're supposed no, to do, I see? Wish, no, I wish I'd read that where's again. Some, was where's it? Sam Walker when you need her, eh? Yeah, Sam Walker. <laughs> Can I say it is Sam Walker? No, Walker, no, you got so who's that? What was the question again? The most inspiring individual I've met? No, 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 no it doesn't. An inspiring individual story that, that, that sticks with you. It doesn't have to be the most inspiring, but just someone that comes to mind. I've gone completely blank. Ross Edgerly, charity. Oh, swimming around the whole of the Great Britain. I went down to Margate. I joined the little team that swam out to meet him and made a lot of noise and swam back with him. And he's very lovely. So he's is he the guy in the sh- the pants at no. the fundraising awards? No, that no? was Speedo Mick. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Very Actually, he was very a coach similar. last night. I didn't see it, but Sink or Swim yes, was on the, for the Stand Up for Cancer. Up cancer. So it's a nice link. I think I bought yeah. it back to charity, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, so he's one of the coaches on that, encouraging the celebrities to learn to swim. Uh, but he okay. swam the whole of the Great Britain coast. Did he lose oh, some of his tongue? Oh, yeah. Fell because apart with the salt water oh, and his neck. and his neck, like three bags neck of tangrastics in one go. Oh, horrible. He was, wasn't it? And yeah. his neck was all rubbed back with his wetsuit. Where it had, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now he's Ow. pretty extraordinary, Tough. inspiring. And then wanted to get people out and swimming and everything as well. Don't know that. Good. I'm, I'm going to go home on the train. I'm going to go, oh, my you God. Oh, you're going to 27 million people I should have thought of. So, and all of those. Wow. And everyone else that knows It's a good me. job we didn't send you the questions <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> At least that shows I genuinely <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't read, read them, them, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, so look, Brilliant. I think we can probably wrap it up there. Thank you so much. Thank we you. We really appreciate Thank your time. You. It's been, been great to talk to you. And um, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. And good luck with the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Peruvian Division 2 game on we can't miss tonight <laughs> isn't there? you got a bet on it go yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I better get home for that one yeah. right James we'll see you soon we'll do thank you, thank you very best. much thank cheers you. then so James just wrapped up another fantastic episode if I don't say so myself how did you find it it's alright wasn't it <laughs> anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing where can they find us well we're on twitter kenneth at do more good pod instagram at do more good pod have we gone multi-channel and even gone to youtube we have but you can find all those videos on the website do more good.uk and if you want to contact us by email please use contact at do more good.uk 